Well, good morning, Vaughn Forrest. How are you? All right, some of y'all are awake. Hopefully you will wake up even more as we continue to open up God's word and see what he has for you. As Matt said, my name is Nick Person. I have been to Von Forest a few times. Really, I think I'm at a point where this kind of feels like a second home to me. And so it is good to be back. It doesn't feel like I'm among strangers, but it feels like I am among family. I live currently in Nashville, Tennessee. I have a wife who was way out of my league and three babies who are beautiful and they are like her. And so I am glad to be here with you. And so because I've been here a few times now, I think it is time for us to even more work on our relationship. And so the way I want to do that is I'm going to give you a glimpse into the past. I want to give you a glimpse into what I used to be like and what I used to look like. Really, I want to give you a glimpse to prove to you that at one point in my life, I did have some beautiful hair. Okay. And so I want y'all to check out this picture right here. Oh, yeah. Look at that. What a good looking kid. Mm, I miss that hair. This picture was taken circa 1990. And I did this last service and it hurt my heart, but I'm going to go ahead and do it this service. Who was not born in 1990 but after? Just show of hands. Let me see you. If you were born after 19, oh, that hurts my heart. Okay, put your hands down. So what I had to do, this picture was taken on Easter Sunday, 1990. Now, here's the interesting thing for some of y'all who weren't born in 1990. See, we used to back in the day take a picture and it had film in it. And then what you would have to do is there was a, it would count down how many pictures you have left. And then you would take that film roll, you would put it in a bag, you would drop it at the Walmart or Wolf Camera and Video. For some of y'all like, did he just say that? I did. And then about three to five days later, they would give you the pictures and then you could behold what you took a picture of. And so I took a picture of a picture in order to show you the picture. And so... It's, I remember that day very vividly. See, we went to a church called Mount Ephraim Baptist Church with Dr. Reverend Pastor Leroy White. And every Sunday, the expectation was you better come with your best when it came to dress. My mom had a lot of church hats. There are some in the room that know about a church hat. She would rock it strong. And on Easter, you had to bring your best. And so we all were suited up. My mom had her best dress on. And that was taken when we got back home from church. And when you look at that picture, you go, man, what a cute kid. At least I hope you thought that. And, and look at that lady. She looks like she has it all together. But here's the thing about photos. They don't give you the whole truth. See, you can't tell by that picture that my mom struggled with substance abuse. You can't tell from that photo that my mom was abused as a kid and that because of that, it wreaked havoc in our lives. You can't tell that my mom struggled often with having worth and value and seeing herself as the King Caesar. You can't tell any of that from that photo. You also can't tell from that photo that me and my mom would have lots of conversations. There were many times where I didn't know what version of my mom I would get. And it was very confusing as a kid because one day was sunny and the next day a storm would be brewing. But as I look at that picture, I recognize that I still learned a lot from my mom. And it took me years of counseling and years of just being honest to be able to say this very simple sentence. My mom was capable of great things and bad things. 
See, it doesn't sound that complicated to say, but as someone who struggled to reconcile, how could someone do so much good, but also wreak so much havoc? And maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you were raised in a home where it was the same way, that the people you were raised with were able of so much good, also capable of so much evil. But here's what's true of all of of us. We are all capable of good, but we all are capable of bad. Amen? We all get it right sometimes, but not all the time. But I learned a very important message from my mom. My mom had a great impact on my life because she spoke what was true to me. I remember growing up, my mom would say to me often, baby, and I'm going to say it how I heard my mom say, baby. That's how I hear She said, baby, you're either going to be a pastor or a doctor. And as a kid and a teenager, I was like, please be a doctor. Please be a doctor. And very simply, the reason was because doctors make more money. I was like, yes, Lord, bless me. But she would always say, baby, you're either going to be a pastor or a doctor, a pastor or a doctor, a pastor or a doctor. She spoke that from as early as I can remember. And what's interesting about this is my mom is right. I'm a pastor who is in pursuit of his doctorate. So she was right. But she spoke that. And my mom also was someone that even though she was broken in so many ways, even though she made mistake after mistake, she still fixed her eyes on the king and worshiped him anyways. Sometimes she walked with Jesus at a crawl. Sometimes it was through leaping and dancing. But what I learned about my mom in the midst of it all, she made a conscious decision to worship Jesus anyway because she knew that's where her help came from she knew that that's where her worth and her value was found even in the midst of all the brokenness even in the midst of times not going well even in the midst of valleys even in the midst of storms she decided to worship the king anyways and when I say worship you might not be familiar you might be new to church and new to that language when I talk about worship I think Paul David Tripp who is a pastor and a counselor he explains worship well and he explains the human condition well he says this human beings by their very nature are worshipers worship is not something we do it defines who we are you cannot divide human beings into those who worship and those who don't everybody worships this is the part it's just a matter of what or whom we serve See, my mom did not always get it right, but she did choose to worship the king anyway. It didn't matter the season, it didn't matter the storm, and sometimes it was ugly, and sometimes it wasn't pretty, but my mom decided that she was going to worship Jesus anyway. Why? Because he was worthy of worship no matter what condition or where she found herself, because the tomb was empty and he was seated at the right hand of his father. A debt had been paid, and so he was worthy of worship even when life showed how broken that it really was. And so today, as I look back at my mom, and today as we look towards Scripture, we're going to get this invitation for all of us to worship anyway. Not based on circumstances, not based on the storm of the valley, not based on the fact that we don't have a lead pastor right now, not based on the fact that we have a certain amount of money in the bank. We get to worship the king anyways. And the reason is why is because he's still worthy. So the question we're going to have to wrestle with today is, are you willing to worship anyway? Or is your worship going to be contingent on what season you are walking in? 
I want to encourage you to pick the previous. Let our worship be contingent on the king and not circumstances. And we're going to look at the lens of scripture in Mark chapter 14. And we're also going to look in John chapter 12 where the story is recorded as well. And we're going to see this posture of a young woman named Mary. Mary's brother was Lazarus. Her sister was Martha. And we're going to look at Mary's way that she decided to worship in spite of circumstances, in spite of who was in the room, she chose to worship anyway. And we're going to learn that based on what she did so many years ago, how we now shall live right here and right now. And so as we dive into God's word, let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this faith family. Lord, I know in a room like this and for those watching online that everything is not perfect. Lord, I know that in a room like this, there are many struggles, there are hardships, there are storms, there are valleys. But Lord, I pray that we can be a people that in spite of all of those things, that we be a people that will worship you anyway, because you are no less good in the storm than you are in the calm. So Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your amazing, amazing name. Amen. Go ahead and turn to your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse number one. And again, we're going to flip back and forth between John 12 as well. But Mark chapter 14, what's going on? Let me kind of lay the landscape and the context of what's going on. Jesus is in his final days as walking on this earth. He's about to surrender his life to pay a debt he did not owe, but to pay a debt that we owed and to free us from the shackles of sin and slavery. And so as he is preparing to walk in his final days and final hours, he is going to partake in a Passover meal, a meal that his family, his friends would have taken over and over again, reminding them of how God came and protected them from death. What's crazy about this is he's about to fulfill this. He's about to be the one that will save all mankind from death if they choose to accept his payment. And so in Mark chapter 14, we're going to see that Jesus is in the midst of hanging out with his friends, preparing to have this Passover meal. And there are things that are going on in the background. There are ugly things. There are there's a plot to kill him going on in the background, but we are going to see that amidst of all the things going on, Mary is going to choose to worship anyway. So Mark chapter 14, verse 1, it says this. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may ride. As I read the first part, those first two verses, I'm reminded of this, is that the world has always been messy. Can I get an amen? There has always been a mess. There has always been brokenness ever since the garden. And there are times when I feel like I'm the only one walking through something hard. I'm the only one experiencing the pain of walking in a broken world. But even in Jesus's day, it was still broken. And let me just remind you, you are not alone. In those moments where you go, God, am I the only one? Hear me, you are not. Even Jesus himself was walking through a hard season. 
So these religious leaders were planning on how they could get rid of Jesus. Why? Because he was disrupting everything. He's healing people. He's touching the unclean. He's inviting everyone to the table. What is going on? They had to get rid of Jesus from their perspective. In John chapter 12, verse 1, it gives more insight. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. See, I love that story where everyone thought that Lazarus was too far gone. What did Jesus do? He entered the scene and said, there is no one too dead for me to raise. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. This scene is Jesus is among friends. Jesus is among his closest of really companions. And we see Lazarus is holding an honor for Jesus. And you might go, why would Lazarus do that? Because Lazarus used to be dead, everybody. So he's about to feed Jesus. Jesus, we're going to bring it all. The ribs, the fried chicken, the mashed potatoes, the sweet potato souffle, amen and amen. They threw a feast in his honor because he was worthy. Martha served while Lazarus was reclining with Jesus at the table. Mark 14, 3. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, which we believe is the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. This nard would have been very costly. It would have been a year's wages to purchase it. She is bringing her very best to Jesus. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. In John chapter 12, verse 3, we find out that this woman has a name, and her name is Mary, and Mary is the sister of Lazarus and Martha. She's a companion of Jesus. It says this, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. So enters the scene is Mary. We'll see through the context of scripture, Mary always was at the feet of Jesus worshiping him. You're familiar with the story of Martha and Mary. Martha was busy doing all the things and Mary was seated at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because she wanted to just behold him. And Jesus tells Martha, 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 you are busy with many things, but Mary's gotten it right. She is worshiping me. And continuing on in that posture, Mary comes to Jesus and she brings the best that she has. The most near and dear thing to her, she comes and offers and anoints the king of kings and the one who is worthy of it all. In Jesus Christ, Christ means anointed one. So she was actually just doing what his name said to do. So she worships him. She pours out her best on his head. And I don't know if y'all caught this part, but it says that she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Can we pause for a second? Some of you are thinking, he has no business talking about hair. He is not an expert. I don't need y'all to judge me. But I have a wife and I have a daughter. My daughter is 14. Her name is Ava. And my wife, we have been married for almost 18 years. Her name is Laura. And listen, I have watched them do their har a lot. I have watched my daughter be upstairs for hours, washing her hair, prepping her hair, braiding her hair. And listen, so this thought of Mary wiping Jesus' feet with her hair is a foreign one. Because I could just imagine myself going home and saying, hey, Ava, daddy's feet are on the struggle bus. Could you please 
Wipe them with your hair. My daughter loves me. I know she does. She would go, no, daddy, I can't do that. Not today, devil, not today. Why? Because her hair is precious to her. Her hair takes time to do. She has put a lot of investment in her hair because it takes apparently a lot of product to do her hair. She would not be willing to do that. But we see Mary was willing to not only give her most valuable thing, but her most precious thing, her identity, her looks on behalf of the king. Mary brought her best and her all to the one who was worthy of it all. Why would she do this? Because she knew that the king was in the room. And I'm sure for Mary, she thought to herself, there is no way I can't. He has already done too much. He raised my brother from the dead. I thought he was gone. I thought he was dead and buried. But Jesus entered the scene and he resurrected my brother. He is worthy of it all. She worshiped him as king no matter what. Verse 4, Mark 14. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. When you look in the Gospel of John, we find out that one of the main ones that we're talking was Judas the betrayer. He's looking at this scene and going, what is she doing? Why would she give all of this for him? This doesn't make sense. But here's what is true then, and here's what's true today. True worship will cause outrage from those who do not value Christ as they should. It doesn't make sense to the world why you would worship in spite of the circumstances of life. When you walk into a gathering of believers and you're lifting your hands and you're singing at the top of your lungs, for some it doesn't make sense because they look at you and go, hey, I know your story. I know where you've come from. I know your mistakes. I know what you're walking through. I know the struggle. Why are you still worshiping anyway? It doesn't make sense, but it makes total sense to you because you go, how could I not? See, my debt has been paid. A place has been given and a robe of righteousness has been handed to me by my father based on Jesus. And so I'm going to worship. And there will be people who always have something to say, and this is free information. There are always going to be haters when you walk in line with the king. There's always going to be somebody with something to say. I want to encourage you to worship any way. One of my favorite stories in all of scripture is found in 2 Samuel. It's about King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. King David came in the line of Jesus, in the lineage of Jesus, and David got it about his king. He was going to worship his king no matter what. But as he worshiped his king in the story we're going to look at, there were people around him. His wife was like, what are you doing? Why would you worship in this way? But David, fully convinced of what his king had done and the king that went before him, was going to worship in spirit in truth. Verse 12, 2 Samuel chapter 6 says this. Now King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obi-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. The ark of God held the presence of God in the, with the Israelites. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obi-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. David was rejoicing because the very presence of God was in their midst. He was excited that his king was in the midst. 
When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David is worshiping. They take six steps and he goes, hey, we got we to gotta sacrifice. We got to worship. We got to surrender something because the king is in our midst. And I'm sure for some of these people watching this, they're like, man, every six steps, you got to worship again. Woo. We're going to be here for a minute. But David kept worshiping. David kept sacrificing and David kept worshiping anyways. Verse 14, wearing a linen ephod, which was the undergarment of a king's robe, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. I love that. You can underline that. All of his might, all that he was, all that he had with all of his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. Y'all, it was a party. It wasn't a have to, it was a get to. They didn't begrudgingly come to worship. David's like, whoa, we are here, let's go. We get to worship the king who is good, who has given us victory after victory after victory. He is worthy, verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. She's thinking to herself, my husband is out there in the street with the common people acting in a way that I view as undignified. What is going on? When he gets home, we're going to have a conversation. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. I love that through David's worship, the environment changed. There were others around him that benefited and were blessed by the way that David worshiped the king in spirit and in truth. Verse 19. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites. Both men and women and all the people went to their homes, verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, I love that David's worship was not just for the onlookers. It was not just for those out in the streets, but he also had the same posture when he came home. Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked in full view of these slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David comes home in the posture of worshiping this king and his wife was like, what are you doing? Hear me. There are going to be times when you choose to worship anyways where those around you will not understand. Let me tell you something. It is not your job or your responsibility to make them understand. You can let them know about your king, you can point their attention to the king, but you don't have anything to defend. Just keep worshiping anyways. David said to Michal, one of my favorite responses in all of scripture, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. He says, you, listen, I can't help but worship my king has given me a seat. He has given me a throne. He has given me a platform. He has given me all these things. How could I not worship him? I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in 
honor. Summary of what David said, I'm going to worship anyways. And there's nothing you can do about it. My king is worthy, and because he is worthy, I will respond accordingly. Mark 14, verse 6. Jesus is going to speak to the crowd and all the thoughts that are in people's heads and the whispers around the room. In verse 6 of Mark 14, he says this, Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. True worship is beautiful to the king. Jesus goes, no, she did the right thing. I know you don't understand, but she did the right thing. She knows who I am. She's responding accordingly. She did a beautiful thing. True worship is beautiful to the king. True worship means you offer all that you have. If you're anything like me, you want to offer the pretty things. You want to offer the things that look good. You want to offer the things that allow you to be well put together. You want to offer the things that really you don't want to be too honest about your past and all the broken things. So you just want to offer what's good. And so that's why in church, when we come here, we're like, everything's great. How are you? Fine. How's your family? Beautiful. And you know y'all fussed all the way to church. But for some reason, we feel like we can't bring it all. Like, we feel like we're not allowed to go, you know what? It was a struggle to get here, but I am here, praise God. When we're honest and when we bring all of ourselves to the table, it's an invitation for others to do the same. Mary brought it all. She offered it all. The brokenness, the valley, all means all. This is what Mary did. So I think about my mom, I think about the fact that my mom was a Sunday school teacher, small group leader for third grade kids, and every week, week in and week out, she would show up and love those kids and point those kids to Jesus. That didn't mean that the whole week was good because most weeks it wasn't good. Most weeks it was a, a, a hot mess, but she showed up and she stepped and she said, God, I'm going to worship you through pointing these kids to you. She brought her all, the good, the bad, and the in-between, because she knew in the hands of the king it could be redeemed. And so she worshipped him with everything she had. And again, hindsight truly is 2020. Because as a kid watching, I did not understand it all. I'll go, Mom, you had such a hard week. Mom, this has been a rough week for our family. Why are we going anyway? Why are you going to serve anyway? It would be easier to not. But she did. Verse 9. Mark 14. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Think about that. We're in 2023 still talking about how Mary worshiped the king anyway. True worship lasts. It is rooted in eternity and not the temporary. God will use it. Trust me. God will use it. Paul David Tripp says this, the good news of the kingdom is not freedom from hardship, suffering, and loss. It is the news of a redeemer who has come to rescue me from myself. His rescue produces change that fundamentally alters my response to these inescapable realities. 
The Redeemer turns rebels into disciples, fools into humble listeners. He makes cripples walk again. In him we can face life and respond with faith, love, and hope. And as he changes us, he allows us to be a part of what he is doing in the lives of others. As you respond to the Redeemer's work in your life, you can learn to be an instrument in his hands. As we worship anyways, the king uses us as instruments in his hand. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. See, we see Judas worshiped what was temporary. Money does not last. You do not take your money to glory. But Judas decided that, hey, I'm going to worship what is temporary. And Mary chose to worship what is everlasting and eternal. That's the king. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we want to be more like Judas or do we want to be like Mary? Hear me, there's a cost to both. But I'm telling you, a better way to walk is to walk in the footsteps of Mary who fixed her eyes on the king and decided to worship anyway. I know it's hard. I know the struggle is real and I know the world is broken. But hear me, there's a king who's seated at the right hand of his father who said it is finished. So we have been given victory, even though we haven't experienced the full beauty of that victory. Victory has been given. So we get to worship anyways. Paul David Tripp. He says, if Jesus willingly endured what he endured and suffered all that he suffered to be the perfect substitute, doing for you what you could have never done for yourself, would you not be willing to make sacrifices for him? How could we not worship the king based on what he has done? I wrote this down. The aroma of Mary's worship pointed to the anointed king. I want you to think back, if you would. Let's go to that room. There are friends reclining. Jesus is in the midst of the table. And Mary walks in. And I imagine that when she poured that pure nard out on his head and she is wiping his feet with her hair, I'm sure the room had this fragrant smell. I'm sure that the room, the atmosphere changed. I'm sure that the room was filled with the most beautiful smell because of her worship for the king. And I had never thought about this before, but think, just a few days later, Jesus is going to surrender his life. And so as he's walking through the hardest time of his life, as they hit him, do you want to know what they would smell? The aroma of Mary's worship. And I go, whoo. Listen, God will use it. God will leverage it. And the king is worthy. Because he was willing, let us be willing to worship anyway. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so based on the mercy of God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Whose mercy? Don't be shy. I just gave you the answer. In view, in view of whose mercy? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. No, it doesn't say in view of how everyone else is worshiping. In view of what everyone else is doing. Paul is writing this church in Rome and he's saying, hey, in view of what your king has done on your behalf, 
should be a catalyst for the way that you worship. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I had a pastor that I worked with some years ago, and he would say this. He said, the hard part about being a living sacrifice is we often crawl off the altar. He said, when times get hard or things are inconvenient, we are quick to crawl off the altar. But we have been called to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, I'm just going to speak to me because I don't know you. But for me, there are times when I'm worshiping my king in spite of it all, where I go, king, did you see how I worshiped? Did you see what I did? Jesus, did you see the amount of my tithe check? Did you see that? And sometimes I have this posture that the Lord owes me something because of the way I worship him. I'm gonna tell you something that's really hard, but really honest. The king doesn't owe you anything. And for some of us, we wrestle with that because we think that God owes us something. But listen, he's already done for you what you were unable to do for yourself. He has made a way where there was no way. He paid a debt that you could not pay and he gave you a seat at his table. So he doesn't owe you anything. But we get to respond to what he has already done. We get to respond to the seat that we've been given at the table by worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And it is our proper worship. Why is it proper in worship? Because why wouldn't we? You have been given a robe of righteousness, a signet ring of the family, sandals to walk in his ways. How could we not? So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be like everybody else. Don't be like Judas. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I wrote this, let us not conform to the pattern of this world, but may our worship be true and proper and may we worship anyway. One of my favorite memories from me and my mom is I remember a senior in high school, I remember riding in the car with my mom. We had moved, but I stayed at my same high school and so my mom would have to come pick me and drop me off and I remember my mom loved gospel music. And it makes sense to me now why she would love gospel music because gospel music is rooted in the struggle of a people reminding themselves that even though the circumstances are hard, God is still good. That the king is working, he is moving in spite of circumstances. So my mom loved gospel music. And at that time, my senior year of high school, I remember listening in the car and my mom had a CD as well. For you young people, I'll explain that later. But I remember listening to this song by an artist named C.C. Winers. Woo! And it was this song called Alabaster Box. And I remember being in the car with my mom, and every time that song would come on the radio, or every time that song would play on the CD, I remember my mom always had tears streaming down her face, and I didn't really understand. I was like, man, why is my mom always crying with this song on? Why is she always singing this to the top of her lungs? Why does it seem that she goes to a different place when the song comes on? See, what I realize now that I didn't realize then is that song was like a journal entry of my mom. The words of that song is talking about Mary worshiping Jesus with her alabaster box of fragrance. 
The lyrics of the song read like this. The room grew still as she made her way to Jesus. She stumbles through the tears that made her blind. She felt such pain. Some spoke in anger, heard folks whisper, there's no place hurt here for her kind. Still on she came through the shame that flushed her face until at last she knelt before his feet. And though she spoke no words, everything she said was heard as she poured her love for the master from her box of alabaster. So I've come to pour my praise on him like oil from Mary's alabaster box. So don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and I dry them with my hair because you weren't there the night he found me. You did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his love all around me. You don't know the cost, not of this oil in my alabaster box. Still years later, I'm feeling the rippling effects of my mom choosing to worship anyway. Hear me. When we choose to worship anyway, the Lord will use it. And it will send rippling effects into generations to come. The question is this. Are you going to choose to worship anyway? In spite of the pain, in spite of the struggle, in spite of all you're walking through, are you going to choose to worship anyway? And maybe for you, you've heard about this Jesus, you have read about this Jesus, but you haven't surrendered your life to this Jesus. Maybe today is the day where you say, you know what, you can have it. My first act of worship is surrendering my life to you. My prayer for us is that we will be a people that worship anyway. If you will, bow your heads. Jesus, I don't know all the stories in this room. I don't know what people are walking through and I don't know the struggles they have seen or the storms they have navigated. But what I do know is that my story is similar to their story. See, I was in a place undeserving of grace and mercy, but you gave it to me anyways in spite of myself. You paid my debt and you paid it in full with your unblemished life. And Lord, three days later, you got up overcoming sin and the grave and offering me a bridge to get to my Father. And so Jesus, based on what you have done and based on who you are, you are worthy of worship. No matter the storm, no matter the circumstance, no matter what, you will worship because you have paid a debt and you have paid it in full. You are good even when the world isn't. So may we be a people that fix our eyes on the king who is worthy, that will step in step with the king who has provided a path. And may we bring all that we have to the table and offer to you because you are worthy. And may we be a people. Lord, may we be a people that worships anyway. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.